Okay. Welcome to Rethink Retirement, an excerpt podcast. We're here to show you how you can use your skills and experience as you move into ooh, that word retirement or unretirement, as we like to call it. I'm Victoria Tomlinson. And I'm Trevor Hatton. And each episode, we invite a guest to share their story of leaving traditional working life and starting new things. And in this case, our guest, she's still very young. She is. Uh, compared to Victoria and I. Um, but we wanted to interview her because we and she are campaigning on very similar issues. Welcome, Eleanor Mills. Hello, thanks very much for having me. So I met you, Eleanor, a decade ago, actually, when we were both involved in initiatives to support getting more women onto boards. And now we're all interested in, oh, that word age, um, or experience is a better word, isn't it? Um, so there's so many things that we want to ask you about, but let's just start with a bit of your background, you know, what you've been doing and how you've got to this point, and then we can explore some of the things around this age thing. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I suppose in a nutshell, I am a journalist. I'm a hack. Um, I have worked uh, in journalism since I left university when I was 22. Um, I spent 25 years at the Sunday Times, where I was um, an award-winning editor of the magazine, a columnist, an interviewer editorial director of the paper, editor of the Saturday Times. I was a bit of a, you know, I was a bit of a News Corp lifer. And then I got uh, turfed out just before the beginning of the pandemic. Um, that happens to everyone. In fact, every, when I, whenever I said to my friends, oh, I've been whacked, they were like, well, we've all been whacked several times in the time. So you've been at the Times. So, you know, get used to it. Everyone else has had to reinvent. And I think because I've been at the same, com the same company for such a long time, um, I think you do become quite institutionalised. I'd done lots of different jobs while I'd been there. And I'd been there since I was 26. So, you know, everyone there had seen me through both my pregnancies. Um, you know, I got there, got there as a young woman and left kind of at 49, nearly 50. So that was big. It was a big, um, it, it was a big deal. It felt really, really horrible. There were so many other people in the same boat. And I remember coming out of the Sunday Times and Googling, you know, redundancy, kind of what do I do next? And getting the HMRC website and literally wanting to shoot myself. I was just yeah. like, this is a disaster. And there just seemed to be nothing around that was shining a kind of positive, optimistic light on what you could do next or, or anything about how you made that transition. Um, and as a journalist and as a columnist for a very long time, I knew that often the things that I was going through were not just affecting me and that if I was going through something then there was a good chance that a lot of other people were so I started writing about it um, and talking about it and I had this idea to help people into their next chapter which is why I set up noon.org.uk so in the 100 year life 50 is halfway through and I thought that noon was a good bit of rebranding in terms of we've got the whole afternoon and evening to come so our motto is so much more to come um, I, what I've really been interested in was telling the really granular stories of how you transition from being one thing into becoming something new. Because I wanted the when I was in that situation myself, what I really wanted was a kind of Hansel and Gretel pathway out of the woods, away from the house of the wicked witch into the future. And I was really looking for those kind of uh, white the kind of you know the white pebbles that showed them where to go or the kind of breadcrumbs I think the white pebbles probably better the birds don't eat them and uh, I wanted to follow the white pebbles out of the dark wood and I couldn't find any so I thought 
probably other people in the same boat. And so I started to find and publish on Noon stories of incredible women who had made that transition in midlife. And I call them Queen Agers. And I've now set up a really successful community of Queen Agers. We support each other. Um, I've done a lot of work on this. We've done a huge piece of research. And I really feel that actually 50 is when women come into their prime. It's when we can pull together all the skills that we've had and we've spent a lifetime developing and really return to the things that we wanted to do. There's that sense of a bit of a drum roll of, you know, you may have had a bit more life under the bridge than you've got to come. So you've got to get on with it if it's going to happen. Um, and I really see really great kind of such inspiring, incredible stories of people who are really realising their dreams in their 50s and their 60s. And I think we're beginning to see that a bit in the culture, if you think about say Michelle Yeoh being uh, nominated for an Oscar at 62 or Helena Bonham Carter last week on Women's Hour talking about how she was coming into her prime at 56 so I'm a real believer that if you start banging a drum I feel I felt for the last kind of two and a half years like I've been like banging a drum in the middle of a forest kind of going I think this is really interesting anyone out there come and join my come and come and join my party it's really beginning to work. Um, I've just got a big book deal to write about it and the new community is really gathering pace. And I also pleasingly see in the wider culture a bit of a shift in the way that women in midlife are, are being perceived. Um, although there's a lot, long, long, long way to go. Oh, wow. I, of course, Eleanor, um, cyber-stalked you and, and went to your site, which is absolutely brilliant, by the way. Thank you. Um, there's something about your personal story, particularly the leaving uh, and, and the timing of uh, particularly around the pandemic mm. your experience, your ups and downs and and the people that help you through that time. And I'm very interested to hear you talk about the emotional journey of leaving, mm. you know, after a long time and, and, and how, how you felt and who helped you through that time. Well, I felt really awful, is the truth. Um, I felt like I'd been spat out. And I think a lot of people do when that happens to them. Um, there's a real sense of being kind of outcast from tribe when you've been somewhere for a very long time. Um, I had a lot of kind of power and status in the job that I was in. Um, and I think that my mistake actually when I was pushed out was because I'd been there for so long, I really mistook the the status and power that the job had bestowed on me I kind of felt that when I was pushed out that I'd kind of lost so I lost some kind of essential aspect of myself um and actually what I realized was that the reason that I survived so long in the pretty brutal environment of Mews UK was because I'm actually really good at what I do and of course when you get pushed out you feel um, like you've had all the stock the stuffing knocked out of you and of course it's just at the point where you're feeling at your least confident that you then have to kind of reinvent yourself and put on a front and you know kind of go out and raise money if you're trying to start a business or sell yourself in somewhere else and that always feels very hard and I talk a lot about that to the women in my community because it's like when you're on your uppers you're suddenly having to kind of run a marathon um, or kind of you know, go, oh, it's I'm all shiny and sparkly and this is all great. And that, of course, that's the last way that you're feeling. Um, what I did, I think, I think in some ways, probably the pandemic was my friend and that um, my life massively changed, but everybody's life massively changed at the same time. And it wasn't as if the boat that I was running, at, you know, the ship that I was sailing at the Sunday Times kind of went sailing on without me. Basically, for the point where I left, everybody 
was then at home and then having to kind of produce paper and magazine or whatever from home sounded absolutely horrific. So I was actually really well out of there, I think. Um, I already had this idea around kind of transformation or doing something around retreats and women in midlife because I'd been on a retreat the year before with a friend and I'd realised that that was what I really wanted to do. But it was still a horrid, it was still a really horrid shock. And I think it's what I, I remember, the most helpful thing that somebody said to me at that point, I went to a Qigong um, class. So I'm, I'm quite interested in kind of energy work. Um, and I went to a Qigong class and at the end, the guy was going, you know, how are you all? And everyone was going, oh, I feel great. I can see rainbows. And I just sat there and cried. I felt absolutely dreadful. And and I remember him coming up to me and he just went, he said, don't worry, put his hand on my arm. He said, change is difficult. And I found that really helpful because everybody else had said, you'll be fine, you'll bounce back, it's all going to be great, you know. And actually, it's really, really comforting to be given permission to find it hard. And actually, I think that's one of the things that's really important, and I know that from dealing with my teenagers, is that sometimes the best thing you can say is just go, oh, that sounds really awful, you know, poor you, that's really tough. And not to try and say it's all going to be fine, because, you know, it's going to take a while for it to be fine again, and you have to kind of gather yourself up and put yourself back together. I mean, what I know now is I am a million percent happier in my new incarnation um, than I was before. I feel much more purposeful um i'm excited every day when i wake up because i'm working on my stuff doing it my way um and there was a huge piece for me about finding my own voice i mean i knew what the sunday times voice was because i'd been writing in that voice for a very long time but one of the huge revelations to me has been about being able to say exactly what i think and not having to trim it not having to edit it really being able to kind of put out there the full scope of my opinions and my passions and my thoughts and it's actually the more I find that the more I speak from the heart and I really mean it the more it engages um and I mean things like I was at Liz Earl, I was on um I went to ad week with Liz Earl um, who's an amazing kind of queenager herself um because I was talking about some research that we've done we did a panel together called Queen Agers, not walking hot flushes, because I was feeling quite cross <laughs> about the way that everything about women at 50 is now seen through a menopausal lens. And you know, and of course, say at this point, of course, of course, doctors need to know what they're talking about. It's a, a scandal that only um, that women in the richest areas get get uh, given HRT twice as many times as those in the poorest areas. You know, there's lots of massive health inequalities around this. I'm not disputing that. It's important we're having the conversation. But what I see in my community is that women do not want to be defined as menopausal. So I had I could say in the middle of ad week to a huge arena of middle aged men, you know, defining a whole load of women in midlife as um, being menopausal is like saying to a room full of blokes, "Welcome to the Viagra years, welcome to the Dick Club," um, which is really true. It is what it's about. But if I'd been in Sunday Times executive, I could never have said that. Yeah. But I, you know, actually I could. It got the biggest laugh of the day. You know, it got picked up all over the place, and it was and it's really true. So it's that kind of thing that I feel like you know the the kind shackles have been kind of uh, released and actually what I now value more than anything else I've been offered various jobs to go back into media is is that freedom to say what I want to speak my truth to do what I want to do one of the early things I did was I resigned from the society of editors while I was a trustee 
because I really disliked um, what they were saying about racism in the British media. The chair came out saying there's no racism in the British tabloids. Mm. And I just knew that that was wrong. So again, I could actually speak out and say, yeah, there's plenty of racism in the British tabloids because there is no representation of people of colour. And how can there possibly not be um, inherent, you know, inherent bias and racism if you have nobody representative on the staff? So that was a, that was a real moment. And that had a million hits worldwide on my LinkedIn. Um, and so many people of colour writing to me going, we can't tell you how good it is to hear from the inside yes. something that we've really known ourselves. And then I had another while on that um, with all that awful Jeremy Clarkson stuff and Megan before Christmas when he made those terrible comments um, saying that she should be, have, have, be pelted with shit like Cersei and Game of Thrones. And again, I said, I think thought that was absolutely appalling, unspeakable. I'd been Clarkson's editor for... 10, 15 years, and I knew that if he said wrote something like that in the column as his editor, he could push back and go, that's not okay. Um, and so I was like, well, what is going on within that newspaper that no editor yeah. took it out? Because if he'd filed that column to me, I'd have just taken it out. And I used to do it all the time to save him from himself. We did that with all the big columnists. So I, and I think it's really, what I'm realising is actually the position that I had in the media, I had this real ringside seat. I was right in the heart of things. And I was also the chair of women in journalism. And that gives me a huge, um, that, gives, that gives me a good soapbox because nobody can tell me that I'm speaking rubbish because I have been there. You know, when if I, if I say this is how newspapers operate, that is how they operate. I was there for a long time. I know, I know it from the inside. So that, that I found really, um, really pleasing. And also what having that ringside seat in newspapers gave me is a real, and I've been writing about this a lot and researching it a lot as chair of women in journalism is looking at the male lens which I talk about on our society how women are taught to see themselves through the eyes of basically a whole load of old posh white men on the back bench of the newspapers <laughs> so if I'm talking you know so if you think, think what I mean by that so say Theresa May went to in, went to see Nicola Sturgeon to talk about Brexit oh, yeah. the front page of the, the Daily Mail the next day was forget about Brexit it's all about Lexit and they had pictures of who had the sexiest legs next to each other but what that says to women is it doesn't matter how powerful yeah, you are, yeah. if you're the prime minister, if you're, if you're the, you know, the, the most important person in your country, you're still going to be judged on your appearance. And so it's calling that out now. Yeah. So what I'm talking about, queen ages and calling out gendered ageism and where sexism meets ageism and misogyny is really questioning how women are taught to see themselves, which creates a massive kind of internalised misogyny um, and judgment. and what I really learned from my time in the media is how that works and actually it's incredibly incredibly powerful when you unpick that for other people so I was writing about Madonna this weekend and I write a lot about how the male lens teaches women to judge each other to be incredibly critical of themselves particularly about their kind of aging kind of physiognomy yeah. and what I really am trying to do at Neen is to change the conversation to something much more positive when it comes to the later stages of women's lives because the women that I see around me are doing amazing things and also we are a pioneering generation there have never been a generation of 45 to 65 year old women in the in midlife like we are and that's there in the census so in 2019 women over 40 started earning more money than women under 40 for the first time ever so and that that means that there is a whole cohort of women in their in you know in their forties and fifties who are likely have worked all the way through their careers, 
you know, we've never, we're not going to read something like good housekeeping because we've never been a housekeeper. You know, we don't define ourselves as women in yeah. home. You know, that is not a world. So I also could see that there was a huge space for a new kind of voice for those women. And what the other thing I'm trying to do, Neen, is to is to help big brands yeah. see these women because the, half of them feel completely invisible um, and to really tap into the huge power of this cohort we're yeah. beginning to see it with the conversation around menopause that's the beginning of the queen ages you know rising and beginning to roar but i think that there is so much more um, than that conversation where um, we should be involved in kind of teenagers and i'm the mother of two teenage daughters and i want them to look forward to being 50 as when they come into their prime as the moment where they are all they can be. And that's what the book I'm writing about is all about. And it's to really try and showcase. I'm a great believer in that Obama thing. You can't be what you can't see. Yes. I want my daughters to grow up thinking, God, I can't wait to be 50. That's when it all really rocks out. That's I when it really that. happens. We love and that's, that. Yeah. yeah, and that's, I think, and also all these things are just stories. We've seen the huge shifts in our society which took to have taken place around race, around homosexuality, um, about around no age. gender. In, in our in, around you know all those things in our lifetime um, and they're just stories we can change the narrative around age it doesn't have to be the way it is just can we make the age thing can can you include me in there with 67 um yeah of course there's no there's no upper there's no upper limit on queen age so when you say 45 plus it's just queen age is a state of mind so Eleanor, I just want to go back a second. We'll talk about this after later on, but what you were experiencing, and that's really partly why we started Next Up, was mm -hmm. that it's you were going through what's called a grief curve. And okay. it's that major change. And it happens to everybody with any major change. It is like a bereavement. And yeah. if you've lost anybody close to you, you'll know it's pretty horrible. And yeah. there is an emotion. So that was one of the things we wanted to warn people because we were seeing really senior people who thought it was just them. Actually, a lot of these were men, in fairness, but I think it's men and women. I know it's men and women. Yeah. So I think what you're doing is fantastic. It's this whole raising awareness of this stage and that people don't feel uncomfortable. Now, what I really want to ask you also is you've gone for it at this age and I love it. I mean, we've also done the same. You know, I started next up when I was what, 63, 62, 63, whatever. And, you know, you, you, you question yourself. Well, we I definitely did at my age. You were younger. But what were the sort of worries that you had about starting something completely new? Um, you know, you as you said, about raising funds and all the rest. What were your fears? And how much were fears founded or was that in you or just talk about that whole thing yeah I, I think that's a really interesting question um i think i was a really kind of walking bag of paradoxes around this because i know i'm a really good editor i'm a really good writer and i've made my living for the last you know three decades um writing and editing and created a lot of very successful publishing franchises so on the one hand you've got kind of you know all that track record and then on the other hand you've got that total sense of bereavement that everything that you've been doing for all that time it feels like it's been taken away from you I wrote about it at the time as being like I'd worn this enormous Game of Thrones cloak with a kind of big gold medallion and all the rest of it and when I kind of you know swept in there I was with my big cloak but what I discovered was when I took the cloak off to begin with, you have that kind of Darth Vader moment, like, you know, you're this whole, or like alien, you're this kind of weird kind of creature. Who is the creature under the cloak? So there's that moment. Um, and then for me, there was this amazing sense of 
lightness <laughs> of a kind of huge relief about not being constrained by the cloak, that the cloak had brought all the stuff with it, but it also was really heavy and constricting. Um, and it wasn't really me at all. And so I think there's also, once you get over the kind of the loss and the grief, the kind of sadness. And I think the other thing it does, I'm a huge fan, there's a woman called Aviva Wittenberg Cox. Oh, yeah. Yes, we know. writes about the kind of four quarters. Yeah. I, what I really felt as I started to go through my own transition was that I was sloughing off everybody else's preconceptions of what I was supposed to be. So the reason that I'd gone into this big, big career when I was 25, you know, younger was because there was a huge pressure from my family to succeed. I come from a real, like, you know, achievement is the currency in our family. Um, my mum has five children, four of us went to Oxford. It's, you know, that, it's that, kind of, that kind of family. So there was this huge pressure to achieve. And so I think I kind of went in and I was kind of achieving. And I also think for, for most of us, what you do between 25 and 50, and Aviva talks about this really interestingly, is as the ages of the age of achievement. So you're kind of ticking off all the boxes that everybody else tells you you're supposed to want. You know, you get married, you have some kids, you get a house, you get a career. You're kind of doing all the things that you maybe your parents wanted you to or your society said was going to make you happy. And what I've seen, I mean, for me, I, it, I was kind of, you know, booted out. So I had to, to change. But what I've noticed um, in the noon community and from the research that we've done, is that this happens to everybody in some form at about this point. It does, you know, that whatever it is you've been doing from 25 to 50 basically is going to come to an end. So if you're a woman who's stayed at home and raised kids and the kids go off to university, you know, if you've been, I've seen loads of friends of mine get divorced or their husbands have died or um, they've got elderly parents who've fallen to bits and, or they've got suddenly got a teenager with a terrible kind of mental health problem or whatever it is you thought you were doing and how you'd set up your life it all changes. And so that I think is really interesting that you there's this opportunity in that change. Um, um, Raina Wynne in her book, The Salt Path, where she talks about, you know, death leaves a space in which something new can grow. Yeah. Um, and that death can be a, a bereavement or it can be a redundancy or it can be the death of a marriage or the hole that, that children leave when they go. But in that hole, if you're, if, if you're up for it, you can create something entirely new. That is actually an amazing opportunity. And so what helped me do that, I think, was the support of incredible friends, um, my husband, and also the, and my kids. But also when I started to reach out to people, I realised that all the stuff I'd done for people in the years I was at the Sunday Times, and I supported a lot of campaigns and gave people a lot of breaks and Pretty well, everyone I reached out to to ask if they'd be on my noon advisory board, and I've got this incredibly stellar panel of ladies. Everybody said yes, and they're all kind of pals of mine. You know, they're people who've written for me over the years, or I've campaigned with, or I've done the Thirty Percent Club with, or. And so what I realised was that although I wasn't at the Sunday Times anymore, I still had a very powerful network that people kind of knew what I was and had respected what I'd done and that that hadn't gone just because I wasn't at the Sunday Times anymore. In some ways, I'm even more powerful out of it because I'm kind of like a free radical who can say kind of, yeah, and I can yeah. say what I want. And what I've discovered is that I'm, I've now actually created my own community and I can monetize that community. We run events, we have loads of fun doing that. I'm leading tours for the ladies that we're all going to Morocco and 
and we've been taken by a Queen Age guide across the mountains and um, we're doing uh, we're doing noon dating, lots of the women are on their own. Um, it's really fun building a business. I mean, I've always been a bit of a wheeler dealer, which is I did as editorial director at the Sunday Times. So it's really fun doing it for yourself. And I found, I was very, very lucky with my angel investor. Um, I had a good friend who's a businesswoman um, not a good friend, actually. What they say in this instance that it's always the people who are just slightly removed yeah. who yeah. actually end up being the really important ones. Yeah. So she was someone I'd met at Cannes a few times. Her chief of staff was someone who'd worked with another big honcho, and I used to speak on his panels a lot, and he liked me, so we used to have dinner a lot. And she got a new boss, and she said, oh, you must come and meet um, Claire. And then I rang Claire when I thought I was going to get whacked from the Sunday Times because she was more senior, and I was like do you have a good lawyer? What do I do? And she said, yeah, look, here's the name of the lawyer. And and then she said, yeah, just out of interest, what would you do if you could do anything? And I said, well, actually, I've got this idea to do this business about, you know, transition and midlife. And she was like, great, I'll back you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was, it was that easy. So um, I also think that when you begin to follow your kind of true path, and yeah, I think that's yeah. really hippie. Um, everything begins to fall into place. Yeah. Um, and what I've discovered while launching, not to say that it hasn't been tough, it's been times when it's been really, really hard work, but that yeah. when I've needed something, it's amazing how, that if you trust, that when, when you need something, it kind of pops up. I was looking for somewhere to do retreats. I went to see my friend Kate Muir. She said, oh, you should meet my friend Roger Tempest. He's got this place up in Yorkshire, Broughton Hall, where you could do. And I was like, oh, okay. So I went up there during the pandemic with my kids and hung around in their spa. And we got to know Roger in Paris and swam up on the moor and had a lovely time. And, you know, lo and behold, I ran my first retreat there. You know, So there were all, there were all sorts of happy kind of bits of, you know, kind of going down rabbit holes or just people popping up when required but I think you have to be open to that if I'd been all cynical and like oh well you know will I like him is it going to be okay will it work it yeah. wouldn't have happened yeah. so I think you have to have yeah. a kind of positivity and an openness to that um, and I also had an amazing kind of new tribe of people who were also on a bit of a journey of reinvention that I met at a retreat that I went to quite early on and we all meditate together every Monday um, and actually that spiritual aspect has been really important to me that I felt guided by a just a kind of like a big a bigger mission that I really really believe in what I'm trying to do I feel like it's trying to make the world a better place and when you really lean into that sense of purpose and um, a sense of kind of rightness and that it's not just for your greater gain but you're doing it because you really believe it that there's something quite powerful that comes with that and then a crew of other people who are also doing something that they believe in um so yeah i i surprised myself by tapping into a kind of more spiritual dimension which i'd never looked at before and mm. also become much more intuitive and listening to my my kind of heart rather than just my kind of enlightenment brain which i think a lot of women are very much trained out of helena um <laughs> you don't seem to me to be someone who has many regrets <laughs> looking back but I wonder if there's anything you kind of wish you'd done differently or you know any real nugget of, from that journey to getting to where you are now that you'd want to share with other people I wish I'd left the Sunday Times earlier yeah 
Um, How often do we hear that? Yeah, we hear that all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so because we will shiver actually just saying that. I mean, I and my really good friend, I've got a great friend called Tiffany Dark, who edited the style section as the um, at the Sunday Times as godmother to my daughter, and she had gone off like eight nine years before I left and she'd gone and worked in America and she kept saying what are you doing here just you know get out there's a whole big world yeah. um so I kind of wish I'd done it earlier but then at the same time my last seven years at the, at the Sunday Times were really fun because I was working with Martin Ivins he was nice and a friend and I was right at the top of the thing and life was really fun and you know and I edited the magazine which was a great train which was a great train set to run and you know there was there were there were lots of kind of upsides so I think it's quite hard when you're you know powerful and have got a kind of big gig somewhere to realize when you're getting stale and the last three years I feel like I've learned so much more about myself I've had so much more time at home um, I swim in the pond every day with the herons and the ducks and I just love the kind of smallness of, of everyday difference that you go back to the same place and you notice the sun is coming through the tree in a different way or there's a different kind of duck or I didn't see my bird or I didn't see my heron today or you know I, I really love that that sounds really silly but I've, was, I've been so busy for so long that I haven't I hadn't really had that time in my life. And I also have had a really lovely three years with my girls. My my um, big daughter's at Oxford. She's in her uh, beginning of her second year, sorry, middle way through her second year. And my little one's doing her A-levels. So I've really been around for them at quite a crucial time and really been at home, which has been great. And also it's been amazing for my um, for my marriage and my relationship with my husband that I've yeah. I've just had a lot more time and energy to put into home stuff. And not being so busy, not being on somebody else's time frame all the time has been massive. Oh. I don't think I could ever go back to that. Now. I, yeah. don't think, I think I'm unemployable. Yeah, well, <laughs> we, we hear that a lot when people get it right. And you're so, you're just full of joy and inspiration, Eleanor. Um, I've just laughed already because I said, when I realise I'm too old for your gang, but you're saying I can be in your gang, that's all right then. Um, so what's, the question we normally ask now is what's on the horizon? It sounds like you're just grabbing opportunities or have you got a plan? You've got your book, I know, but what else? I've got my book and that's going to be all about, it's all the stories that have come out of me, basically. It's the story of kind of what I've been talking about today. So it's the story of my own transition and lots of the inspirational stories of the women that I've come across and all the kind of secrets, the kind of nuggets that I've learned along the way. So it's intended to be like a kind of toolkit for other queen agents yeah, embarking. I love it their way out of the, of the of Hansel and Gretel's wood um, and I'm really excited about that because I've, I'm a writer so for me writing a book is the thing and I'm hoping that it will have a real global reach and a real kind of global change so that's my humble wish for my book um, and also the great thing about it is it allows me to talk about all the stuff I like talking about and to promote noon which is you know what I'm really passionate about so that feels that all feels really good and aligned. Um, I'm actually really loving the build the business aspect of it um oh. I'm doing a lot of public speaking now I really there's nothing pleasing than signing a big deal and seeing the you know the kind of money go into the coffers and thinking oh I did that you know that's that's very pleasing um and but also because it's spreading message next which is all about see yourself through a new lens in midlife and be more optimistic and so I'm really really delighted every time a big brand starts spreading the message for us that's you know that's really good and so I, I want I want to do more of that and I love my team at Neen and we've got a great um kind of editorial staff and we've got lots of good pieces coming in so that or that all feels kind of quite fun the other thing that I'm really passionate about is is really trying to embed this conversation about age and all the different generations in the workplace and how much 
that older generations have got to offer um, within DEI. So one of my other heads, I've always been really interested in um, diversity, equity, inclusion. I run something called the um, Inclusion Edit newsletter and I do a week monthly live event for Moving Ahead, who run the 30% Club's global massive mentoring scheme. So I'm really interested in how we change the conversation within companies around older workers. Because I hear so many stories of women like applying for jobs and just getting knocked out by the algorithm before anyone's even looked at their CV. I mean, anyone listening to this, if you're feeling depressed because you've been like endlessly filling in forms on Indeed or something like that, you know, just just for the record, I have never got so much as an interview or a callback from any online application I've ever made. Um, so, you know, just feel But if that's you, just feel better. I mean, I've never, ever, ever had so much as a callback. And I don't think I'm a kind of particularly useless candidate. In fact, I get asked to apply for jobs all the time by headhunters, but I can never get through the algorithm. So I think that companies have got to do some massive work to change this. And yeah, the yeah. other thing that we really see in the noon research is that if companies can get it right for senior women, particularly, because I think that we were like the canaries in the coal mine on all the stuff. Yeah. We were the ones who, I mean, I fought really hard to get a day at home when my kids were small yeah. so that I could occasionally be at the school gate and know their friends. And, you know, we, we really fought that flexibility, work-life balance kind of um, kind of uh, battle right from the beginning. This is like 20 years ago when my daughter's 20. So when she, when, when I first went back from maternity leave after that, um, so I think that if companies get it right for queen ages, they're setting themselves fair for the millennials and the Gen Zs who come yeah, behind. Because yeah. what we see with the queen ages is what they want is flexibility, autonomy, yeah. purpose, meaningful work to be valued by their employer. Yeah. And yeah. not just what too many companies give them um, kind of senior people, which is like the fat office and the, you know, with the secretary outside and a big title. That does not do it for, no. you know, for women of 50. I remember my first you know, really big executive job, I was given um, a big glass office and a secretary outside and kind of going assessed the editor of the Times and going into the editor and saying, look, can, please, can I just sit upstairs with my team? <laughs> I hated sitting in this office by myself. I was used to kind of sitting with all my yeah. team and like exactly. bouncing ideas around and being able to see exactly what the pages were being drawn up on on their computers. And, yeah. you know, I just couldn't understand the point of sitting two floors down. And he's like, but this is a really serious bit of kind of real estate kind of within the company. And I was like, yeah, I don't, but I don't care. It's not how I want to work. And yeah. the secretary going, so where would you like your car to take you for lunch? And I was thinking, well, I don't need a car to take me for lunch. I was just going to have a sandwich and sit with my team and get the get the pages together for this afternoon. So it was just a completely different way of oh, yeah. thinking about what work was for and what the seniority was for. And I think that there are still far too many companies who are rewarding senior women with the glass box and the secretary in the car rather than actually yeah. thinking, well, they want purpose. And the other thing I feel passionately about is nearly a third of my women don't have children um mm. and that that's pretty true so university educated gen x's nearly a third don't have kids and the more highly educated they are the less likely they are to have children so i think there's also a really massive thing for for companies and for the broader world to think about in terms of legacy and purpose for women without kids because it's a huge thing it's a massive part of the population they're doing amazing things they're made to feel like freaks all the time no, um, and actually they're, they're they're a huge bit of the population and i think they're really kind of under thought about yeah, group. And i see are. is so many women 
started businesses because they're purposeful or they see that as a legacy or thinking about their legacy in terms of some amazing creative thing that they're doing or charity that they're setting up or trust or and that's not something that's not part of the conversation at all so I think that's really important oh that's a really good one that one Ellen actually and I've seen since starting next up a lot of very senior women and actually you know I've come across people who haven't got parents anymore they haven't got children because they're married and they haven't got siblings and actually it suddenly brings home to you it, if you're not careful it can be a, a very lonely life uh, yeah. I think what you're saying I've never thought about that in the company context but gosh I think you're absolutely right there and we're just doing a project at the moment helping a corporate around the 50 plus workplace and that's mm. such a good point to make there Eleanor but anyway I think I think that's really interesting and it's something that people aren't thinking about and what I most see from the noon community and from our research is that these women want to feel seen yeah they think yeah. they they think they feel like ferraris kind of roaring into their 50s but yeah. they're not being seen that way that's not the cultural narrative so that's what i'm really trying to change um and i think i'm making quite good headway given it's like just being me kind of writing some things and you know banging my drum um and i'm really hoping that we'll see more of that because it seems to me just natural justice but it's also the kind of final bit of the feminist piece to make women's lives matter beyond the patriarchy's being fecund and fanciable you know that i reckon drains to that i was writing about madonna at the weekend um and we have to stop valuing ourselves through the male lens which only values women for being young and fertile you know i actually think that queen ages we've got huge wisdom we have huge energy we've got so much to give back and yet society doesn't see us because we're seen through this through the male lens so when i was editor of the sunday times magazine it's incredibly hard to get a picture of an older woman on the cover um and you know and the whole way that newspapers and the media operates and marketing and advertising even worse uh, you know we used to be told oh brighten up a page that meant putting a picture of a pretty girl and it's still the same in you know most advertising and marketing they don't use older women because the mostly senior men who are making the decisions don't want to look at them actually there was a a a feat I think it was the male's colour supplement this weekend had a woman with white hair she was gorgeous in lingerie for Valentine's Day and a photo exactly and I meant to post I must do it still and I thought oh my goodness finally we're changing yeah it's it's coming it's coming it's coming a bit but it needs it needs a lot more pushing because it's not coming in the mainstream no you know still the only thing that I ever get advertised towards me are tenor incontinence pants and like life insurance, <laughs> maybe the odd cruise. You know, it's ridiculous. I've just bought an electric car, I'm in charge of all the finances, yeah. I buy my tech, my children's yeah. tech, you know, all the food. All the, you know, it's completely bonkers. The holidays, the, the queen ages are behind 95% of all household consumer yeah. spending decisions. And yet we're never directly addressed. I mean, that's just bonkers. Cheryl Sandberg said to me when I interviewed her, she's been incredibly nice and supportive of me, um, reached out to me when she left better because she was thinking about her reinvention. So she gave me the um, first interview that she on about why she left. Um, and she said to me, these queen ages are the most underserved lucrative cohort in the whole of the advertising spectrum that there is, you know, in everything in the kind of marketing world has been like so colonized and she says she said to me it's really rare that there's like a piece of the map which is really not being co- colored in it's like a kind of whole new like 
um, continent being ready to be conquered and nobody's thinking about them. We were laughing about the kind of um, gendered ageism and misogyny which stopped Brown speaking to us. But I, hopefully that's beginning to change. I don't know. Um, we've got more questions here. I know that you've got to go. I just, we have loved this. Can we, can we be in your tailcoats? Is that the right phrase? Can we just be behind you and in front of you, supporting you? Because you are, so. we, we, I know that we're helping men and women, not just women, but it'll surprise you. Sometime we'll have a coffee or a glass of wine or whatever. And I'll tell you about the men because actually at this stage, they have as many problems as the queen ages and nobody talks about that either. And no, I, com men, I completely, I completely agree yeah. with that. I've got a really, a lovely friend um, from Oxford. who's a very, very senior uh, psychotherapist who runs a big adult department in one of the London hospitals. And he said to me, you need to set up goon for the blokes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, <laughs> hopefully, I mean, we just we've got a slightly we're going up to 100 in our in our age, 120, she says, because oh, I'm, wow. I'm 100. But um, you are fantastic. Uh, I love your drive. You're you're bringing to life everything that we're talking about, um, Eleanor. And I'm not giving we're not really giving Trevor much of a chance of chatting. Sorry about this, Trevor. It's Sorry, Trevor. Girls here. <laughs> Have a good time. Um, but it's you're fine. amazing. We can't thank you enough. And for time, I know how busy you are. I really, really appreciate this, honestly. And good luck. And we're all we're all in this together. We're going to change the world. We definitely are. And age is going to be understood and valued. And you are the vanguard of that. Thank you so well, much, Eleanor. Well, thank you so much for having me on. And I hope that um it, this resonates with some of your listeners. Oh, and you. if they want to check out what I'm doing, it's noon.org.uk. And I also write a, um, a newsletter every week yeah. to my community called The Queenager, which is on Substack, um, which has got um, which, which goes down really well. And you can find me on you know, various other. I, I subscribe and follow you, Eleanor. And it's a brilliant read. It's a brilliant <laughs> read. It's, it's completely. Well, I just keep going. Yes, yes, yes. Every time you read it. So everybody should subscribe. <laughs> Thank you so much, Eleanor. My um, pleasure. Um, Lovely to meet you. Luck. Um, deep breath. Oh my goodness, she's amazing. Um, you didn't get much of a word in there. Do you want to start now? I sort of feel like a tornado has swept through <laughs> that I live in, and and you know, sort of destroyed half the houses. Uh, it was. She's just a a force. A tour de force. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. she's she's you know all of that stuff around mission and purpose yep. and yep. freedom. You know, it's it's what we talk to people about all the time. And it's, I've made so many notes. You know, it, she's talking about um, a sense of rightness and intuitive. She, she's talking about all the things we say, which is when find, use this time to find yeah. purpose. And it takes time. You don't just leave a corporate and suddenly purpose lands on your doorstep. It can take time. And I think somebody said the other day, didn't they, that when you work for a big brand, you kind of you forget who you are in a way yeah. because you become the brand yeah. and it takes time to move out of that brand and to remember who you are and what you care about. But the thing about being this age, I mean, Eleanor's sent in spades in terms of 50 year old plus women, but it is men as well. And actually this is the time for you to do those things that you care about, to be joyous like she is. I mean, that's not going to be most people, but you know, and also when she said, I wish I'd left earlier, but she's also realistic that actually she had a ball in the last seven years and many ways, 
I think she got experience and just that last bit probably helped her towards this business. I think that's what she was saying, really. Yeah, uh, it was interesting that her, uh, you know, the only thing that she said that she thought was a mistake was that when she immediately stopped working, she felt she had lost something of herself. Yes. Which yes. she clearly had not. No. <laughs> and she found it pretty quickly. And you know, all that sense of mission and even the spiritual side of it yeah. came across so clearly. And she talked about lightness, you know, taking the cloak off and feeling that lightness. Mm. And, you know, yes, gosh, that, that I thought, I mean, she's such a visual speaker because she's a writer and it's yeah. it's joyous, actually, having those stories the whole time. Um, but I thought that bit about the cloak and how you're restrained in it. I think yeah. so many people working in yeah will completely relate to that yeah. this is back to that's not really you it, it is you but it's you in a corporate sense there and just kind of becoming the freedom and the joy um I think you've had that to some extent haven't you yeah I, I think everybody does I think everyone does um you know the, the the realization that going through a change is difficult um and not being sure that what's at the other mm -hmm. side is better but by hearing stories like this, where she said, I'm a million percent happy. I know, I know. How fantastic. <laughs> it um, is an inspiration. Yeah. And I think, you know, when it first happens, God, I remember my 20s being made redundant. I did actually ask for it. But then I, when they actually said yes, I felt like I'd been kicked. And I thought, oh, they don't really love me. You know, so it doesn't matter yeah. how much you want it. And you, yeah. I suspect she was at the point when she did want to move on anyway. Um, you still feel rejected and, and that's quite hard they didn't really love me enough to say please stay um, but I think what she's showing is just make the most of this opportunity you know if you've got your health and you've got your wits about you still then the life really life world is your oyster yeah. Um, and yeah. not to be I mean we were talking this morning about somebody you were working with and it was a lawyer and he was inhibited only by himself and he's kind of just emerging well I could do that that yeah. could be me and I yeah. think it's that bit and hopefully that's what this podcast does we can't go on forever because we've, we've talked for hours here and I don't think we're even going to cut this very much um so if you've enjoyed this we have lots Eleanor's in a field of her own but lots of other people with stories that should inspire you as well um it, it, it's all about having fun and enjoying and making the most of this time and it'll be different for everybody and everybody's stories are different um and they are different and if you want to find the other stories uh video clips blogs all sorts of material please go to our website it's called next-up.com don't forget the hyphen and we will see you next time and don't forget eleanor's also we promised we'd promote it oh so yeah noon.com noon.org.uk oh gosh i got it wrong noon.org.uk thank you trevor go for there see you next time <laughs>